Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, I'm so happy you could join us today for the Finding Harmony podcast. This is our 40th episode and the last episode for 2020, which has been quite a year. And I can't think of anyone better to close out this season than our guest today. He was super influential for me during my early years of practice and one of the first workshops that I attended. You have probably met him either online or through his DVDs or his books or in a workshop or teacher training. And so, of course, I'm talking about none other than David Swenson. We're so honored to have him join us here. If you haven't had the pleasure and joy to meet David Swenson, uh, he is a true yogi. His heart is so genuine. His mind is so clear. And you're just going to love this interview with him. Everything he says is profoundly real and extremely practical. And also, he is so funny. What a sense of humor. David was truly a pioneer of Ashtanga Yoga, traveling to Mysore in 1977. He's one of the few teachers who go way back to the original students there. And many teachers of my generation have him to thank for their introduction to this practice. But I'll let him tell you his own story in his own words. And so without further ado, here is David Swenson. Hi, thanks for listening to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Harmony Slater, and I'm here with Russell Cates. Hello, nice to see you again. And we're joined today by someone who really needs no introduction. Um, and that's David Swenson. Hi, David. Hey, Harmony. How you doing? Hey, Russell. <laughs> How are you, sir? I'm great. Yeah. It's so exciting for us to have you on the show today. I, I can't even begin to tell you how excited I am. Oh, man, I'm honored to be here. It's, it's, it's wonderful. So I have a funny little story that I want to share with you because I don't think we've, we've known each other for a, like a, almost a couple decades, almost, not yeah. quite. But, um, but I don't think I've ever told you this story. But when I first started practicing yoga and this was kind of even before i really knew what ashtanga yoga was i went into this new age bookstore and uh was looking at all these different yoga books trying to figure out which one i i wanted to do and i kind of i think i'd maybe heard about ashtanga yoga and i i wanted to know more about this ashtanga yoga it seemed like a very authentic name for a practice and so, of course, your book was one of the few, there was maybe 10 books to choose from at the time, books on the shelf uh, talking about yoga and Ashtanga yoga. And I opened it up and it had all your postures and all the different variations. And, and I was like, okay, this is the one I want. I want to do this, this kind of yoga. And I think I'd been doing like some, some Ashtanga-based classes and also some... In Calgary. Uh, in Calgary, yeah, yeah, and some rocket classes and stuff. But I, I didn't really know what Ashtanga yoga was um, or why it was different than other practices. So in a way, I always have considered you to be like my first Ashtanga yoga teacher. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Yeah, and I think there's we've talked to so many people uh, on the show or just 
in life who also share the same experience of having this practice manual be their first introduction to yoga or Ashtanga yoga. Yeah, who would have known? <laughs> <laughs> when did you publish that book? Gosh, it was in the 90s, probably the late 90s, around 98, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. I was, uh, I was still over at uh, uh, Peggy Kelly's yoga place with your student, Sharon Moon. Yes. And uh, I remember Sharon brought it to class and we all looked at it. It's like, what's this? It's, 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 a, it's a book. It's a practice <laughs> manual. And I said, well, why does it lie flat like that? Because most books, you know, they won't yeah. lie flat. But like this thing, it would lie flat. And that was so novel. Yeah, so you could practice. So you could leave it open <laughs> yeah. instead of having to prop it up. And I was like, this is amazing. I've never seen technology like this before. Well, you know, there's a little backstory on the book, if you care to hear any a yes. little bit of that. <clears throat> so I just had this idea to write a book. I had never written one, never used a computer before, didn't know anything about that stuff. And even before I wrote it, as I was traveling around, I would go to bookstores and I'd ask them, hey, do you have that book by David Swenson? They'd say, <laughs> I hadn't even written it yet. I go, wow, you don't. Well, you should keep an eye out for it. It's a really good book. <laughs> so I was trying to plant some seeds. And then I went into bookstores and I measured bookshelves. Because I knew That's I wanted, oh, I wanted to have a large book, but a, over a certain size, they end up on the bottom shelf, lying on their side with all of the right. like art books or or you know coffee table books, and mm -hmm. so it could only be a certain height. And as you pointed out, I actually wanted to have a spiral because I was the the concept of the book was to have mostly photos so you could just open it and on one page see the variations and everything rather than having to flip to, you know, figure 3.7 on page whatever. <laughs> so I said, well, I need a spiral. But if you have a spiral book and you set it on a shelf, all you know is it's a spiral. You don't know what the oh, book is. So right. That's right, yeah. And at the time, that's the way it was. So I did research and I found something called a concealed wire O, which is a... <laughs> which is a spiral with a spine. And I was like, oh, okay, so that's that. And then, uh, yeah, it was a process going through that yeah. whole thing and coming up with a, an idea and um, then trying to write it, which was just, you know, in and of itself, a sort of exercise of trial and error. Yeah. It's like a mountain writing a book. Well, I didn't even know it was going to be a book. It was just going to be a manual with some photos. And then it got a little longer and then... <laughs> then when I did the photos, I had every photo in the book shot in one day. Wow. And yeah. I, I didn't have, I had a, so little money. I didn't know what to do. And I, I, I went to a, a camera store because I figured people in there must know how to use cameras. And I said, Hey, anybody um, know how to use a camera? I need some photos taken. And this guy goes, well, sure, I can do it. You know, I kind of know. So um, I hired him by the hour and we, went into this little studio and he shot every photo for the whole book in one day. Holy cow. That's and right amazing. after, well then the next day I went and got my hair cut. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know I can tell. And then, 
this was before digital cameras, so you wouldn't know what the photo was until they had a spreadsheet or they developed yeah. them. And he goes, uh, David, you know, we need to reshoot a few of those photos because they were out of focus. And I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's why on some pages I have short hair and some pages longer hair. Every that's short haired so page is, was a reshoot. Yeah. <laughs> the next and, day. <laughs> and then even the editing happened over a, a series of printings. <laughs> Because oh, I just wow. had a rough edit, and then I'd have somebody write me and go, David, you left out the word vinyasa on page. I go, oh, okay, thanks. So the next time I printed, I put in the Then so, David, you misspelled. Oh, okay. So it took a few printings before it was actually edited. Wow. And did you self-publish, or did you have oh, a yeah, publisher? Oh, yeah. I'm still self-published. Wow. Yeah, to this day. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Self-published. And in the beginning, I, I did research, and I found a printer in Tennessee that could do this type of binding. Yeah. And I printed a thousand books. I thought, well, a thousand books. If I have to, I can sell them out of the trunk of my car over a period of time. And that's what I'll do. And that's what I started out with that. Wow. Um, and then ended up finding a printer in Korea that I've been using ever since. Um, and it's still going on. Wow, that's amazing. I want to ask you a question because I, I feel like there's a real kind of um, contradiction in in terms of um, whether or not we're allowed to, to publicize ourselves. And I because I, I just remember, you know, one time I put up a YouTube video and I never heard the end of it in like 2004 and people gave me all kinds of trouble for having that YouTube video. And, and it seemed like every time somebody came up with a book, like um, the, that fellow from Australia, Matthew Sweeney, he had a book and he got all kinds of flack from it, from, from um, Patabi Joyce and Sherat about having and a book peers. and peers. And so I wanted, but it seems like when you actually, when you get to India, you know, everybody has a book. <laughs> everybody has a picture book. Everybody's promoting the crap out of it, out of yoga. Yeah. And so I wanted to know if you had a, a similar experience in terms of, of, you know, it sounds like you're pretty savvy about wanting to get a book out there. And of course, there's all your videos as well. well and I wondered if you had, you know, pushback from people at the same time that everybody else is doing it. Certainly. And I'll, I'll, I don't see the writing of a book as a promotion. It was just something I had to do. It wasn't like I'm going to do this to promote myself. It was just mm -hmm. something I felt I had to do. Mm -hmm. But as you pointed out before the book was the videos, VHS tapes. Yeah. And I came out with those early on and I'm like, wow, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to get some flack for this. <laughs> So I didn't ask Patabi Joyce's permission because my theory was to ask for forgiveness rather than permission. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's, thought, a good, that's a good I'll one. I'll just produce it first and then say, what do you think? You know, so still I was, I was concerned about it. And I, I called David Williams, mm -hmm. who was my first Ashtanga teacher from, from way back. Um, and I said, David, you know, I'm coming out with these videos. You know, I'm sure people are going to shoot me down, man. 
And David, with his wonderful North Carolina accent, says this. Well, David, you know, if you stick your head above the crowd, somebody's bound to throw a tomato. <laughs> how did, how did, can you tell us maybe, how did you meet yeah. David in the first place? You know, I'm going to, I'll tell you that, but I'm just going to wrap up this little bit about oh, the videos please. in the book. So yeah, I did get flack for it. People criticized me for it and... I accepted that. And that's the thing. You have to accept that just when you do something, you have to do it because you believe in it. And that whether people are upset or not can't be the determining factor. If it's something you believe in that you must do, you're going to do it. But you got to accept that not everybody's going to like you, right? Some people are going to throw a tomato and I got tomatoes thrown. Mm -hmm. And then the book was a whole nother story because I wanted to come out with something that showed alternatives to postures. Mm -hmm. And that was like, you know, something that's unheard of. Like, no, you, you do it or you don't do it. And I was like, well, but, but why I watched, (laughs) I watched Patabi Joyce teach a quadriplegic boy. He could only move his head. He didn't look at him and say, you can't do yoga. Yeah. Are we saying that yoga is only for people with two arms, two legs, and a strong, healthy body? Is it mm-hmm. yoga or is it just elite fitness? So I was like, well, I'm going to do this and I'm prepared to, to get the, you know, the flack for it. But I didn't ask Patabi Joy's permission. Again, I thought, well, I'll just send him a book after it's done. So that's what I did. I mailed him a book. And at that time, there was only one other Ashtanga book out. Well, there were two. There was Patabi Joyce's book, which was not very readily available. It really wow. wasn't wasn't in the uh, one with Lino. No, his oh. actual Yoga Mala. Oh, the Yoga Mala, yeah. Oh, yoga the actual Mala yoga was Mala. not okay. actually. It was Beryl Bender Birch's book, Power Yoga, and That's she right. got all kind of flack for that just because of the name. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at any rate, I mailed him a book. And I waited, and then I called him. And whenever I'd call, he answers the phone. I was always saying, oh, 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 David, what news? What news? <laughs> I said, oh, Gruji, I, I, I sent you a book I wrote. Did you get it? He says, yes. <laughs> and I'm waiting, right? Like, he just says yeah. yes. And then I'm, I'm waiting. And I'm like, well, and? I mean, what do you think? And he says this. Oh, some one by one is correct. Some one by one by one is not correct. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> what that's, does that mean? that's like Zen, man. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> but I think about it, I realize he doesn't speak English. He didn't really read English, not much, right? Yeah. And so all he sees is photos. Right. So the one by one, that asana, and then you go to the next page, one by one, that's correct. But maybe he's mm. thinking, I'm telling people, do this one asana, then do those five variations (laughs) and then do the next asana. So he's like, but even then he just laughed and smiled and, and it was fine. Yeah. And then I thought, okay, well, cool. Then I was teaching at a a yoga journal conference in New York city and Patabi Joyce was teaching there. And so a lot of his students, actually all of us would go to his class in the morning and then we would, break out and do our, you know, workshop stuff and everything. And so I was sitting there in the back of the room waiting for Patabi Joyce's class to start. And a student walked up and said, David, I have your book. Would you sign it? And I said, look, I'd be happy to, but this, 
this is not my class. You know, this is Patabi Joyce's class. I'm a student in here just like you. So why don't right. you find me later and I'll sign it. But right now, just focus on, you know, it's Patabi Joyce. Yeah. I forget about it. That afternoon, I walk out of a room and here's that student running up to me. Oh, David, would you sign your book? And I said, sure. I open it on the first page. There's Patabi Joyce's signature, <laughs> Sharat's signature, and Saraswati's signature. Wow. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm like, what? You handed this to Patabi Joyce to <laughs> sign? Yeah. And I said, he didn't like throw it on the ground or tear it in half or something. They go, no, he was quite happy. I said, look, I need to make a photocopy of that page, man. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. take that as authorization for my book. So yeah, <laughs> for sure. So I, I accepted that as I was, it was okay. And then when I was in Mysore a few years later, sitting up there and in his house, you know, just sort of hanging around and somebody had sent a book and their book was sat there on his table mm -hmm. and someone asked him about it. And he says, David Swenson already has a book. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow. Okay, cool. Uh, I bet that was Petri's book. I bet you $5. That was Petri's. My lips are sealed. <laughs> <laughs> at any rate so you were asking about meeting david yeah i I really want to kind of dig in even 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 deeper um because i want to ask about your brother as well and mm -hmm. growing up in texas and and my understanding was that uh you were a vegetarian even in high school or junior high high school yeah high school and how weird must that be in texas in the 70s it was weird, for sure, yeah. <laughs> I um, think it's still weird in Texas, isn't it? <laughs> it depends where in Texas you are, yeah. 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 Not, where, in, not in Wesley. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, the big cities and stuff, it's, they're all very metropolitan now. But at that time, it was odd. And I'm in the process of trying to write another book and going back through a lot of these things mm -hmm. um, in my past. So... I give credit to my brother, my older brother, Doug. He's five years older than me. Mm -hmm. And to my parents, too, who are very liberal, open-minded, free-thinking people. Um, but Doug got into surfing. He was he was famous in Texas. He was the top surfer in Texas. In, and, in Houston. Well, yeah, but you drive to the Gulf of Mexico and surf or Galveston there. or something like Galveston, that. Galveston, Surfside, Freeport. Wow. And then we would go to Florida or to California. Okay. So in the summers, they would load up their car and drive to California. And he was in Encinitas surfing. And there's a famous surf spot there called Swami's Beach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Near Lucadia. Swami's, it's gets its name from Paramahamsa Yogananda's Self-Realization Fellowship that is mm -hmm. perched right. atop the cliff there. Yeah. And so after surfing, he'd see people out there sort of stretching or maybe sitting in Lotus or something. He thought, oh, that's kind of cool. So he um, went into a bookstore or something and and found a, a surf magazine that said that eating hot dogs is bad for you. So he's like, oh, I don't want to eat hot dogs. You know, that's <laughs> not good. And that made him start thinking about health foods. And he got like a Paul Bragg health food book. And then he found a yoga book. Bragg's so when, soy sauce, that that thing. Yeah, Bragg's liquid aminos and Bragg's yeah. apple cider. He was one. He was the father of the whole health food industry. 
He was the wow. first one used the term health foods. He was the mentor <laughs> of Jack LaLanne. Oh yeah, Jack LaLanne, the workout guru. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Paul Bragg was his mentor. Oh. And, and Paul Bragg, he died at like a hundred years old. He had been body surfing in Hawaii. He he said to rest is to rust. Mm-hmm. And amazing. he believed in eating whole grain, whole foods, and he would occasionally fast and into fitness and running. And um, he said, I'd jog over the graves of people that used to laugh at me. <laughs> 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 at any rate, Doug came back to Texas with these ideas of eating healthy and doing yoga and I just was lucky. He was my big brother. I wanted to do stuff like he was doing. So that was my entry into it. And we just got books. So talking about people learning from books, it's how I learned yoga from a book. How old were you? uh, 13. Oh, that's so awesome. Wow. (laughs) My brother was just bringing back LSD from Chicago. That's the thing. I, I you know, I'll say, had had Doug come back riding a Harley fighting in bars, you know, my life would be different right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd be sitting at a bar in East Texas with a broken nose and a name like Lug Nut or you know, something like that. But, but I'd have to think that your 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 parents would they'd be they'd be just as surprised if you'd be in a vegetarian as you'd be in a biker. I mean, that must have been really different. Honestly, my father is a criminal defense attorney, and they weren't from Texas. You know, they came down here from Ohio. But, oh, okay. um, and so for him, he was representing people that were thieves and drug dealers and stuff. It was like his kids just wanted to not eat meat, grow their hair long, and twist their bodies. It was like, ah, hey, it could be worse. <laughs> <laughs> but they were incredibly liberal. And you got to keep in mind, during this time, this was a time in Texas that there were separate water fountains for whites and coloreds. There were separate toilets, men, women, and colored. Many of his clients were were black men that were being prosecuted and persecuted Mm -hmm. and things for Mm -hmm. the crime being the color of their skin. And so they raised us that you don't judge people by that. You judge people by the quality of their character, the integrity of their personality. And so that was a big part of it is they were open and accepting. They were Unitarians mm-hmm. going to the Unitarian church. My dad um, gave lectures there. And so they were very open-minded and they raised their kids to be free thinking to stand behind your convictions or whatever. So I'd say it was harder for my mother because a way that a mother shows love is providing food, right? When you don't want to eat your mother's cooking, that's kind of a big insult because I was going to eat my own food and stuff. So, But we did that and we learned from, from books and practiced in the park at the end of our street. That's how I got into the yoga. Okay. What books did you learn from? The first book we ever had was called Yoga, Youth, and Reincarnation by Jess Stern. <laughs> yep. That sounds amazing. And there were a few yoga pot. There was Richard Hittleman's. I forget. Oh, is yeah. it 21 Days to Yoga or something? Yeah. 
Yeah. Iyengar came out with his Light on Yoga book around right. this time. There was um, Swami Satchidananda's Integral Yoga. We would just take these books, go to the park, open them, read them. We had a bed sheet or a beach towel, and we had like karate pants or something, and we would just try to do what it said. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I imagine from what I've heard from, from real surfers is that there's, for the real surfers, there's the moment where you sit on the, the surfboard in the water and you're just sitting in a kind of a wonderful Zen state, that, that that's the real experience is those, those moments, because those are long moments between waves. And I'd, it seemed like within that community, that was, it was very spiritually minded group of people. And that's something that maybe Doug was picking up on. Well, there were different categories of surfers. And when surf became popular, sort of in the 60s, it was part of a, a desire for alternative ways of living. Mm -hmm. Surfers didn't want to have the normal jobs. You know, you wanted to have your, your own freedom and you, you, even if you lived in your car or something, you wanted to dress different and, and focus on surfing. And there was a spiritual component to it of being connected to nature and all that. But I will say that maybe those, there is a lot of waiting. You're waiting more than your actual surfing. Mm -hmm. But if all you got to do was wait, you wouldn't have the same Zen experience because right. <laughs> as riding the wave because you want... It's the riding the wave. Mm -hmm. it's, it's that moment that makes everything else worth it. Mm -hmm. And it's a communion of nature, but, but there is something when you're sat on your surfboard, you're looking back at the land where everything else is, where all the other people are living, but you're separate from that. And you're floating in this, this aqueous element. And um, waves are interesting too. They're, they're coming from hundreds or thousands of miles away mm -hmm. across the ocean. And, and what is a wave? It really has no substance mm -hmm. because even as it's moving, this one water molecule doesn't remain in one place. It's, it's energy. So it's mm -hmm. energy moving through this element. And then you're just standing on it and feeling the energy of the ocean. And, and so, yeah, it was, a, it was a real deep connection. Mm -hmm. Later, as surf became more popular and more commercialized, it became a different thing. But I think that it maybe also in yoga, in a way, the early days of yoga and the early days of surfing, or even Shelley in her world of dance, who you had the, uh, the wonderful opportunity to speak with her a while back, um, mm -hmm. those early days of that, it was simple. It was about the, the feeling and the art and the a lifestyle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. so they're also, even when there became surf contests, you want a trophy. That's it. Right. You can make a living <laughs> as a surfer. Right. But as those things changed, that also brought in another element, you know, of, of, wow, if you do this or that, then it changes the way that you surf because before you didn't care what you looked like surfing. It's how did mm -hmm. you feel? Mm -hmm. But then once you're being judged and people are holding up a number every time you ride a wave, you've got to push the edge or do something different. or So it, it changed it a bit, but still surfers probably experienced the same juice riding a wave, but there was a, 
there was another element of simplicity and naivety that went along with it. And we made a surfing yoga movie in the in the 1970s. <laughs> really? I would yeah. like to see that. Do you still yeah. have it? <laughs> oh, you know, it's in bits and pieces. It took us three years to make it. We have original wow. soundtrack. We filmed it in Mexico and Central America. And yeah. I think I saw Ken uh, Harukuma in yeah. Japan. I think I saw him in a headstand on a surfboard once. Yeah, people started doing all kind of stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, d- did you then, um, you must have been. D- did you decide to just go out of high school straight over to California to pick up this lifestyle? I didn't even get out of high school to do that. Wow. <laughs> so you I was in, well, yeah, I was in school and you, you may have heard the story, you know, Doug and I practicing in the park in Houston and the neighbors called the police. <laughs> Cause you can imagine we're long haired, scantily clad kids yeah. under a tree. Doing yeah. That's a tantric. Yoga. That's a yeah. tantric circle right there. And, and the, a police car came, rolled up into the park. They pulled their guns out and wow. said, what are you boys doing out here? We yeah. said, breathing and stretching, officer. He says, well, the neighbors called, said you're doing some kind of devil worship out here. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they correct. thought we were worshiping the devil. And so <laughs> that was the environment. And then in yeah. high school... I had long hair, but you couldn't have long hair in Texas. I had to wear a short-haired wig for three years. Oh, my God. And I was a vegetarian, so I was a vegetarian wig-wearing. You know, it was miserable. Yeah. Well, you could have you just moved to Austin, though. All you of Texas right was the in. same. Not in Austin. No. All the Texas no? school. No, my, the wig thing was it, my father changed the laws in the whole state of Texas about wearing wigs. Wow. It was because they were going to force me to cut my hair. I didn't want to, and it it caused a big Mm to-do. And so they had a Houston Independent School District meeting Mm -hmm. in a gymnasium because the the principals of all the schools at that time were just these thick-headed, almost all of them ex-football coaches, no educational background, Right. right? And right. you still called him coach, even though a printer you called him coach. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I didn't want to cut my hair. So they, their belief is if you let the hippies grow their hair, basically all society is going to come crumbling down as soon as you give in to yeah. that one thing. Yeah. Who knows what could happen? Yeah. So. yeah. Almost Me- anything could happen. <laughs> meanwhile, in every church, there's a picture of a long haired okay, hippie. So- on a cross. <laughs> so my, my father's there. There's a whole gymnasium full of parents, teachers, students. And on a, a stage up there is these uh, Bubba Bill, Bubba Ray, Bubba John, all the guys from the school district <laughs> on a table. And there's a microphone. And this is going to be a community discussion about this. So my father yeah. approaches the mic and he says this, my dear gentlemen, to my knowledge, Jesus had long hair. <laughs> Moses had long hair. Albert Einstein had long hair. And the founding fathers of this great country, the United States of America, they all had long hair. <laughs> my sons, therefore, are in very fine company. And I simply ask of you, I, oh, and so we are not going to cut them to ha- uh, force them to cut their hair. So I simply ask of you, what is the alternative? Mm-hmm. And that was a short-haired wig thing. 
Oh man. And David's David Williams' partner Diana was living in Dallas at the time, and she remembers that how this court case, you know, changed everything. Wow. And so anyway, after my junior year, I couldn't take it anymore. I wrote my parents a letter, told them I loved them, and I split. I went to Southern California, finished my last year of school out there. That's when I met a friend of mine, brought me to a yoga class, and it was David and Nancy teaching Shtanga. Wow. 1972. What were you doing for work? I got a job at Captain Kino's. What is that? It's still there. Captain Kino's (laughs) is a 24-hour breakfast diner greasy spoon restaurant (laughs) and i just i just worked there taking people's orders and bussing tables and cleaning the kitchen and whatever what was your first impression of like walking into this yoga class with david and nancy and i assume they were teaching mysore style yes the first impression was the sound Mm -hmm. i'd you know, if you think about it, Ashtanga is the, the system that brought Ujjayi breathing into the scene. Yeah. And even vinyasa, prior to Ashtanga coming to the Western world, there was no such thing as a vinyasa in the Western world. Right. Mm-hmm. There just wasn't. Mm-hmm. No. And, and even yoga people, when they would see you doing vinyasa, they'd get mad. They'd go, that's not yoga. You don't jump around. And wh- why are you huffing and puffing so loud? That's not mellow. That's not yoga. You know, so, mm-hmm. But the sound was like, Wow. I saw the people flowing and and sweat dripping from their body. There was no heat in the room, and there was steam rising from their body. Mm -hmm. And it blew my mind. And there's David. He walks up and goes, hi, who are you? I say, (laughs) David. And he goes, oh, hi, David. I'm David. (laughs) And the first day, and I see he and Nancy teaching. They think it's cool. I was 16 years old, little kid. Yeah, that's amazing. He took me through 3A, 3B, the final three postures of closing, and said, all right, lie down, take rest, come back tomorrow. And I saw steam rising from my body, and I was like, wow. That is very traditional. And so it just just, uh, bit me. It wasn't that it was easy. It was just I felt energy in my body, and the whole community of people doing it were fun, and and I, I think you might agree with this in in regards to ashtanga yoga people either love it or hate it very few people are passe about it mm-hmm. it's either the greatest thing or it's the worst thing yeah. you know, for me <laughs> i felt like i had come home i felt like wow this is amazing i like how i feel and to this day i don't tell people it's the best yoga i go look man i just like it that's mm-hmm. the only reason i do it it's the only reason anybody should do it if you don't like yeah. it do something else yeah yeah, As, you know, I told people that a lot when I was teaching um, high school teachers uh, yoga last last couple of years, and I'd say to them, "Look, I don't know why a 16 year old Southern boy from Louisiana goes home after school and does Lilius Follin's yoga and you class. I just liked it. Yeah, it was on TV and it was right after GI Joe, and I'd finished the GI Joe. I was 15 years old, 16 years old, yeah. watch finished GI Joe, and then I'd watch Lilius Follin." And I just, I didn't have a good reason other than I liked it. That's right. Yeah. So it's 1972 and you're in Encinitas and you're working at Captain Cook's. Kino. Captain Kino. You're working at Captain. Working at Captain. We're going to stop by. We're working at Captain Kino's. And I think, did, 
is at this point that Dave and Nancy decide to make a, a trip to India? No, or was not it after yet. that? They had already, well, going back in David's history, um, it was 1972 in like April or something that he ran into Manju, or Manju did a demo. Mm -hmm. So David Williams was in India traveling around, and you got to keep in mind, in those 60s and 70s, hippies were looking for the meaning of life. They were looking for something deeper. Even their passion for taking drugs was around expanding your mind and finding the self, and the music represented that, and it was a People were protesting the Vietnam War and so forth. So people going to India, it wasn't like today. No. All they knew is India is where the yogis are. They didn't mm -hmm. know anything about even a place. You just knew that that's a country and there's yogis there. And yoga is something, you know, Eastern. So they would hitchhike. They would fly mm -hmm. to Europe and then travel overland all the way to Europe and take them, you know, months to get there, weeks, whatever. Yeah, so maybe. David was, was in, I think, the Gitananda Ashram, and he, he met Norman Allen. And um, I can actually, well, I'd have to step away from the mic to do it. But there's David has his book, and you can read about all these wonderful details. My Search for Yoga is David mm. Williams' book. Um, okay. It's amazing. But he talks about all of these early years. And, and so Manju Joyce and another guy come, and they do this yoga demo. And it blows the minds of Norman Allen. They really can't, they never see anything like it. They go, wow, where'd you learn this? He goes, I just learned it from my dad. Well, who's your dad? <laughs> oh, oh, that's Patabi Joyce. Where's he? He's in Mysore. Wow. But David couldn't both, go there. They were His, both in the room at the same time when they saw this. Yeah. Norman wow. and David, yeah. Because wow. well, it, was, it was just a demo and they were both in this ashram. Because they had both met and started sort of traveling together, you know. Hip, you know, looking for the same kind of things. And the Gitananda Ashram was in Pondicherry, is that right? I believe so. Let me just okay. step away one little second. Yeah, go for it. I'm referencing David's book, just looking mm -hmm. at it really quick on this page. Um, I think I forget so the name of the says, Swami that was there, but I think This is David. He says, in early March, two young Indians, K.P. Manju, and Basavaza Raju mm -hmm. arrived at the ashram. Um, says Swami Gitananda had announced that the son of the great Hatha Yoga master and his friend would do a demonstration. Mm -hmm. And that was them. They did the demo. And that's where, you know, it just it blew their mind. Did they go to Mysore immediately or did well, they go the home thing. first? David couldn't his visa was about to expire. So he had to mm -hmm. leave. Mm -hmm. And, and so um, Norman Allen went before David and right. Patabi Joyce didn't want to teach him. <laughs> right. Yeah. So he, he came back every day, every day until finally he's like, okay. And so David always gives credit. He goes, well, you know, Norman sort of broke the ice. And, and so <laughs> David had to go back and, and he just got some money together as soon as he could and returned. Mm -hmm. And then he came back and I believe Nancy might've been with him on that return to Mysore. And then, so I met David right after they returned from Mysore. 
in, in Encinitas. So, and that's something when he was writing his book, he called me, you know, we're trying to get some of the dates, right. Um, but I met him in, in the late, like in the fall. And I think he had only been teaching. He had been back from Mysore for whatever, a couple months and they were teaching this yoga. And that's when my friend Paul showed up and then Paul brought me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that's, I just was there early on, but that's how they had for, already been to India by the time I met them. They just met Patavi Joyce. Yeah. When you mentioned breaking the ice, it, it reminded me of um, Indra Devi, you know, um, who was was born Eugenie Peterson uh, of Russia, and then went and studied with Patavi uh, Joyce's teacher, um, Krishnamacharya. Krishnamacharya, and. I have to think that what she was learning was similar to what Guruji was learning. Like it was Ashtanga yoga. And then I, I think so, but I don't, I don't, I don't know her personally. I don't know the practices that she teaches personally, but then I have this, this fantasy in my head because she went to, to Hollywood and she taught Gloria Swanson and Bridget Bardot and Marilyn Monroe yoga. And I and so it just strikes me like well she was teaching them Ashtanga yoga because that's what she had learned. Well, honestly, we don't know what she had learned. And Krishnamacharya taught different students in different ways. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Mm because you think well, BKS Iyengar was his student also, right? Why did Mm -hmm. he teach so differently? And my understanding is when Iyengar came to Krishnamacharya, Iyengar was very sick. He was frail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he had TB or something like that. So the way that Krishnamacharya taught him was different. Mm-hmm. And Patabi Joyce just said, look, I'm just teaching what I learned from him. And he talks about the yoga Karuntha and all that. But mm-hmm. I don't know if Krishnamacharya taught everyone the same way or at, at what phase or period of time they were there studying with him. So mm-hmm. who knows? But it was just amazing that here almost 50 years later, um, you could go into a, a Mysore style class in Calgary, Alberta, and the local Ashtanga yoga teacher, you know, uh, Jeff or uh, Janine, is is going to teach you 3A and 3B and some closing, and you're going to lie down. Yeah. Almost exactly the way that David taught you, and I just think that's inc- that's incredible that link. Well, it is, and it's. Um a testament to the yoga, I guess. And it's, it works. Otherwise that's, you know, people are still doing this after 50 years and it's not the most popular system of yoga, Mm -hmm. but it's certainly here and a lot of, and and why, why people are still doing it after 50 years is is because it it works for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of different ways of teaching Ashtanga too, because there's a lot of different personalities and sometimes People get just their mind becomes disturbed by that, that everybody's mm-hmm. not exactly precisely the same. And I always point out, I say, yeah, but when Patabi Joyce was alive in in let's say in the two thousands or in the, even mm-hmm. in the 90s, if you went to class one day with him, the next day with his son, Manju, the next day with his daughter, Saraswati, the next day mm-hmm. with his grandson, Sharat, and the next day with his granddaughter, Sharamila, 
Mm-hmm. You just had five completely different experiences. <laughs> <laughs> you sure did. <laughs> so it's not odd yeah. that I might teach a little different than Richard Freeman or another person. It's okay. Yeah. But, but the, beneath it all, the essence of it remains. Mm-hmm. The differences are small, you know, and so I think it's healthy that it's a little different. Otherwise, we would just be machines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've been practicing for... 47 years. 47 years? Well, Ashtanga, 46. since 1972. I don't know, you do the math. 48, 48. Anyway, you're, you're, it's, it's over uh, 48 40 years, years probably, it's for 40, sure. It's right? near, nearer to 50. It's 48. <laughs> um, but in your experience, I mean, and obviously there's been many different phases of practice in your um, history, but what what are the benefits? What are the effects? What like What keeps you practicing? It's the same thing we've said earlier, actually. You know, if, I'll say it like this. I'm a simple-minded guy. Think like a caveman. Like, <laughs> oh, mm, do yoga. Oh, mm, feel good. Oh, mm, mm, no do yoga. Uh, mm, don't feel good. Uh, mm, mm, you just like Harmony's dad. That's amazing. No, I mean, it's just, it's, it's basic. And that's the only reason anyone should do it. And so the, the, the yoga itself is a tool. It's not even the goal. It's a tool. And nowadays when I'm teaching, I, I describe it to be like medicine. Actually, this is medication. And what you require for your prescription, the dosage you need may change over time. Mm-hmm. There was a period in my life, I mean, I was fired up. I describe it to be like a Labrador dog, like just, yeah, you just want more, <laughs> just chasing it. Mm-hmm. And my first trip to Mysore, Patabi Joyce had us practice twice a day, two complete series in each session, all that stuff. Wow. At the time, that's the medicine I needed. I wanted, I was, rah. But you realize that it's a paradox. That now it's more about how can you be so efficient that you get more by doing less. Mm -hmm. And rather than the asanas and the sequences being the goal, they're just the medicine that allow us to do what we need to do to ultimately take some positive energy in our body and go out and make the world a better place. We're not meant to just be an asana machine, Mm -hmm. but each person has to come up to their own conclusion to figure out what that formula is over time. And Ashtanga has specific sequences. They're designed like that. They're choreography. Mm. It's very precise. But then there's a point where you just do your practice. And in my opinion, it doesn't matter. Then people, if you're doing your home, do whatever you want. Change the order. Check, practice it backwards. Hold them for seven and a half breaths each, whatever. It's okay. <laughs> do your practice and feel good. But then why do we learn it in a specific manner? Because it's a system. It's like learning Tai Chi or something. Yeah. But... The, but but the in my opinion the 
The duty of a teacher is to do nothing more than to encourage, to inspire, and to facilitate practice. It's not to direct a student's life. Hmm. How did how did you working in a in a restaurant collecting you know tips and change? How did you in nineteen seventy three? How did or or how did you get to Mysore? Well, when I didn't get that? to Mysore until nineteen seventy seven. Okay. Um, and so that was after I finished my last year of high school in Southern California. Then Doug and I, my brother Doug and I, proceeded to try to make our our surfing yoga movie that was a flop. <laughs> and then uh, David and Nancy had moved from Encinitas to Maui. Mm-hmm. Right. And they then wanted to go back to Mysore. David wanted to learn the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. You know, he hadn't completed it on his last trip, so he wanted to go back. So they called me over to take over their classes for them when they mm-hmm. went back to Mysore. So I flew from Houston to Maui. And um, that was expensive. It was, well, when I was in Houston, I was working, you know, I've, I've always worked since I was a kid. But you mm-hmm. could fly one way for a couple hundred dollars probably back then. Mm-hmm. And I had saved money. I worked in health food stores and did other stuff and had enough money to get over there. And uh, David was just teaching classes by donation on Maui. You probably know that story. Um, <laughs> the Initially, when they taught there, they didn't have a yoga st- studio. They just taught in a park. Oh <laughs> and David, he said, well, I'd just go to the yoga I'd go to the park, I'd do my yoga. People would come up and say, what are you doing? I'd say, yoga. People would say, well, I'd like to learn the yoga. And he goes, okay, if you want to learn the yoga, you have to commit to 30 days. And I will teach you the yoga. And every day after I teach you, I want you to put a donation in my hat. I'm going to put my hat under that mango tree over there. And you put a donation after class. David says, <laughs> I'd teach for three hours. I'd go look in the in the hat, there'd be a ban- a banana, a mango, and half a joint. <laughs> oh well, that's a good afternoon. Well, he goes, ah, we didn't need much. That's all right. And, yeah. simply, and, yeah. and then he tells his story about how he finally, because he they needed to save money to get back. And yeah. those stories are in his book. Mm-hmm. So then, then they brought me over. And David had come up with a system. He said, look. I understand you guys, you're paying me with what you've got, but I need to save a little money. So he came up with the system. He said, you're going to pay by donation. But every day after class, I want everybody have a, a, a blank white envelope. And you put some money in there. It could be a dollar. It could be a hundred dollars. It can be whatever. But for the month of classes, I want you to hand me that envelope and look me in the eye as you hand me that money letting me know that's what you can afford or whatever. And, but mm-hmm. he goes, and at the end of the day, I'll open the envelopes, but I don't know who gave me what. So there's mm-hmm. no judgment, right? Yeah. And so he started it like that, and he was making a little bit of money. And then ultimately, somebody else came, and they gave him a... One day, he opened one of those envelopes. It was like $3,000 in it or something. Wow. Just, and that enabled them to go to Mysore <laughs> to, yeah. to return. So wow. then... I took over the classes and he wanted me to have a more steady income. So he told people the existing students 
continue to do the envelope thing, any new students pay $30 a month. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so they put me in charge, they leave. And a student comes to me a couple weeks later and goes, wow, man, like I'm digging the classes, man, but I'm like a little short on cash, man. You know what I mean, man? I'm like, I'm so sorry. That's okay. Just keep coming. Cool. Solid, man. Within two weeks, no one's paying. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Not one person was paying. So I had to get a job. I got a job in a health food store and to to make a little money because I was teaching for free and there were more and more students and I was... Working in the health food store. I was getting by, but I couldn't save much money. And then David and Nancy come back and go, wow, there's so many students. And I go, yeah, that's kind of the good news. (laughs) (laughs) There's no, nobody's paying anything. So then he kind of laughs and figures it out and everybody's paying the next day. Right. But but then I, I borrowed a thousand dollars from a guy, which at that time, that was a lot of money, but that yeah. was enough for me to fly to India and and Patabi Joyce charged. He raised his monthly fee from forty dollars to sixty dollars a month. Wow! In, in Mysore, that's a fifty percent jump. Yeah. So you could, but you could anyway, sixty bucks a month, and you could live on fifty cents a day when you were there. So it was basically a plane ticket to get there, and then mm-hmm. live simply and whatever. So that's how I. I, I got the money as I borrowed the money. Mm-hmm. That that oh. got me to go to Mysore. And there were only three people there. Oh. Who, do you remember who was there? Sally Walker, a British guy named Paul. Huh. Yeah. And you. And me. <laughs> and so you said you're doing two classes a day and you're going to the classes and you're, you're probably... And there's living, a woman named Lori also. Yeah, go ahead. Living close. Was it... Was it terrifying? Oh, it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> and and he was in a he was jolly and he was like just uh was, I always remember back. him as being jolly. I always remember yeah. him as being jolly. Yeah. And it was us that were pushing ourselves beyond. I mean, we were just right. like fired up. We wanted this stuff. It was like the yeah. perfect storm. Mm. Yeah. You think of it in Mysore, the local residents had no interest in the yoga. He had a handful of students. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of them were really, it was more of a social thing. They'd come and kind of hang out and chat while they were practicing. And we came in just like, yeah. There was one other guy that local guy really had a strong practice. He was a Katakali dancer. Oh. Was incredible. He could move every muscle in his face, you know, and it was amazing. <laughs> but, um, so Patabi Joyce was fired up and he was excited to have us fired up too. Yeah. Could you tell that story about Kanda Pidasana, where you put your feet into your belly? Oh, you put them up in your chest and turn them backwards. Yeah. 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 And then the knees go down to the floor. Right. Yeah. Well, that was one posture. And I usually don't like to talk too much about that in, you know, public settings, but. um, (laughs) This is a very public setting, sir. (laughs) It is. And only because, you know, it was one of the few sort of injuries I've ever had in yoga. And this posture, you, you sit up like you're in Bhattakonasana, opening your feet on the floor. Mm-hmm. And then you lift your feet up toward your chest and pull the soles of your feet in toward your chest. Mm-hmm. Roll your knees away from your body until the top of the feet come together mm-hmm. and the outer edges of the feet rest in your chest. And I've got really tight ankles. And 
I was trying that every day and he would assist by, I would sit up against a wall. So there's some leverage behind. Right. And he would sit in front. And as I lifted my knees up, he put his knee on top of my feet and gave a little push and pulled my knees around. (laughs) And my, one of my ankles went crack and um, made a big sound. Yeah. And he, he stepped over. And I'm just breathing. I'm scared to look down there. And he says, keep your mind on God. (laughs) And I'm like, you hadn't told me about that. (laughs) (laughs) And I looked down and my my ankle swelled up. And but ultimately it that ankle to this day is looser than the other one. (laughs) (laughs) But it, you know, it was not lasting damage, but it and I kept practicing every day after that, but it was uh that was a moment that was a, a bit intense, but I will, I will. Yeah. I mean, he was responsible for pushing me, but I also just was like, bring it on. You know, I was pushing myself as well, but this yeah. was an old school way of teaching. Even maybe Shelley talked about her early days at Juilliard and stuff and how teachers then taught dancers, you know, they want you to lift your leg higher. They, they'd put a lighter under your leg. Yeah. <laughs> or if they want you to contract, they'd stomp on your belly. And yeah. if you hear Patabi Joyce talk about being taught by Krishnamacharya, yeah. I don't know if you've heard those stories. It was brutal. Very dangerous man. So yeah. I remember he told a story. He said that he was on tour, not uh, on tour. They, he, Krishnamacharya would travel around and, and promoting yoga, mm-hmm. employed by the Maharaja to promote mm-hmm. yoga. So Patabi Joyce is with him. And in India, and Krishnamacharya had Patabi Joyce do a demo. So they're in a field. They cleared the field with a machete or something, and Patabi Joyce is down the dirt and does Kapotasana. Mm-hmm. So he stands on his knees. You lean back, catch your ankles. Krishnamacharya then steps up onto his belly mm-hmm. and for 30 minutes gives oh a God. philosophical discourse mm-hmm. in <laughs> Sanskrit. And while he's doing this, there's a sharp stick sticking up out of the ground and it's embedding deeper and deeper into Patabi Joyce's shoulder, like a knife. Uh-huh. And he would show us the scar on his shoulder. He says, Oh, yeah. coming up, some pain is coming. <laughs> some bloods are coming. He just took dirt from the ground and rubbed it in the hole in his shoulder. Yeah. And so then you imagine later one of us goes, wow, my knee hurts. He goes, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Let me tell you. There's, and then I thought, well, maybe he's exaggerating. Mm-hmm. I heard BKS Iyengar give a talk and said his guru was so mean, he used to hit them and kick them and slap them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. then I heard uh, Krishnamacharya's own son, Desikachar, give a talk at a conference. And if you know Desikachar's history, he didn't do yoga in his early life. He didn't do yoga until he was like 50 or something. And you think, well, what happened? You know, so he told a story. He said his dad, Krishnamacharya, wanted him to do yoga, but he didn't want to do yoga. So he ran out in the yard and hid in a mango tree. <laughs> and his dad knew he was up there. So he waited until um, Deskachar became tired enough and he came down. He goes, and then my dad forced me to go into Padmasana, Bada Padmasana. So I'm in Padmasana, reach around, and he tied my hands with with cord, with rope, yeah. 
to my feet and left me for three hours in the yard. Oh my gosh. And he goes, so I really didn't want to do yoga after that. Wow, that's child abuse. So, but these were these, even I talked to, I had a martial arts teacher, you know, I used to do Taekwondo and other stuff. And he says, I can't teach the way I was taught in Korea. He said in Korea, we had to stand in our undershorts in the snow and punch and kick trees. Mm-hmm. Wow. He says, you guys, you're kicking and punching these fluffy bags hanging from the ceiling. Yeah. That's nothing. Yeah. You know, and so there was a time that these old school teachers were brutal. I don't yeah. condone it, you know, but it was it was a thing <laughs> that people yeah. were doing. And then so yeah. Patabi Joyce was softer than his teacher, Krishnamacharya. Yeah. And and then the other thing is I think some people would try to emulate what their teacher did and it doesn't work. Like I've always just felt like, well, I don't want to push people that way. And um, mm-hmm. at any rate, there was that moment in Mysore. But overall, <laughs> it was a great experience. And you were practicing first and second series in the morning. Yep. And then and you come back and either do first and advanced day after that or second and advanced day. Oh, yeah. wow. is first posture of fifth. Yes. Well, there were, they weren't numerical then. It was primary, oh. intermediate, advanced A, and advanced B. Uh-huh. Primary became first, intermediate became second, advanced A became third and fourth, advanced B became fifth and sixth. Okay. Okay. They, weren't, they were not numerical series. And it was a four-year program. There was a syllabus, which David talks about in his book. It was a four-year program? Yeah. And it was taped on the wall. It was the four-year oh. syllabus for Ashtanga Yoga. Year one primary, year two intermediate, year three advanced A, year four advanced B. Oh, as I well as what pranayamas and books you should be reading and kriyas and all that stuff. Oh, man. Four I've years. never heard that. That's amazing. I would love to see that. that. You have to get David's book. <laughs> he also, and David has a poster called The Syllabus, The Yoga Syllabus, which shows all the asanas as it was originally taught, all the sequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen David's poster at Nancy's place. Yeah, um, and I and I I kind of felt like it was you know definitely what his experience was, but it was I'd never heard that there was actually one written on the wall, the way it was typewritten. It was typewritten written on like four to four pages, an old oh, Indian typewriter, the Yoga Syllabus. That's why where he got the name for it. Yeah, that's incredible. Wow, and. You know, for us coming up, you know, being admirers of you and Richard and Nancy and uh, Dina Kingsburg, you know, we hear we hear all these stories and be frightened of them, like like little children are frightened of the boogeyman. But but we but we'd go, we'd be so excited, and we'd try and follow in your footsteps. We'd try and be like you, and go there and have this experience. But I have to say, it, it was it was like that. He was just so jolly and he was such a uh, a wonderful mischievous guy and i just loved him yeah and it was... you could show up having never done yoga mm-hmm. you could show up at the door people thought you had to be advanced or something it's like no if you show up and you've never done yoga you'll be the one who gets all the attention mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yelling from across the room <laughs> yeah we we can edit this part out, David. But I just wanted to ask, how how did you feel 
the last couple of years to hear so many um, so many people talking about Guruji in such a negative way? You know, I don't think it's fair to edit it out because you should be able to ask anything, right? Mm -hmm. um, well, it makes me sad. And what you're talking about is is inappropriate adjusting. Some people went as far as saying they felt like they had been sexually abused and so forth. Mm -hmm. So my first reaction is it makes me really sad. Mm -hmm. And I would say that one of the worst things that anyone can do is to look at a person that's saying they had that experience and tell them, no, you did not have that experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because obviously they had a bad experience, right? Yeah. yeah. And so if you've ever, the way that I did teacher training courses long before any of this for 30 years now, the first day I teach in such a way that there's appropriate ways of adjusting and inappropriate ways of adjusting. Mm -hmm. Appropriate places to touch, inappropriate places to touch. Yeah. yeah. I've yeah. always taught that way. We both learned that and, from you. And so it wasn't in response to anything. It was just, in my view, the ethical, appropriate way of, of teaching, right? Mm -hmm. And so why he would touch someone in these other manners... I don't know. And yeah. it, it makes me sad. I will say that I didn't see it happening, but it doesn't mean it didn't happen. But I'll tell you why I didn't see it. I wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> so I studied in the early years with Patabi Joyce. And then I went to Mysore in 1977. I didn't see him again until 1989. Mm -hmm. I was doing other things. I took another journey, I, I did, became a Hare Krishna, all that kind of stuff. Then when I would see him again, I would practice periodically, but I didn't return to Mysore until 1998 or, or somewhere around then I went back mm -hmm. and or 1995, I guess. But I didn't see it happening in the room. Shelly, my wife, never received an adjustment like that. Mm -hmm. Had I seen him adjust him like her like that, I would have called him out. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's it's a sad thing. I don't know why he would adjust like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another part of it is if you speak to a variety of people that receive the same exact adjustment, a variety of women that receive the some will say, I didn't feel anything inappropriate about it. Right. Others will say, I feel violated. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's a difficult situation. It's um, a sensitive subject. It should not be avoided. It should be mm -hmm. spoken about freely. And it's the only way to gain healing and to move forward. Yeah. yeah. But the other thing is, it should not be a reflection of Ashtanga yoga itself. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know anyone else that adjusts like that. Mm -hmm. Manju certainly doesn't. Saraswati doesn't. Sharat mm -hmm. certainly doesn't. Yeah. None yeah. of the teachers I know adjust like that. I've never adjusted like that. So it was something that happened. It makes mm -hmm. me sad. I disagree with it. Um, but I also have to acknowledge that without this man, none of us would know about Ashtanga. So this is a, a challenge is 
I've had people say to me, David, are you going to remove his photo from your book? Mm-hmm. So what do you mean? They go, well, if you do not remove his photo, that means you are denouncing everything in the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. Right. And I say, but is it possible that you can hold two conflicting ideas in your head at the same time? Because where I've told stories about Patavi Joyce and go, well, you can't tell those stories. I go, but it happened. Mm-hmm. In the same way that someone that had a negative thing happen should tell their story, it doesn't mean that I can't tell my story. Yeah. Or if you know Albert Einstein, he had all he had affairs. Mm-hmm. Does it mean right. the theory of relativity is not correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have to separate the two. And I can denounce all of the bad adjustments he made Mm -hmm. and also acknowledge that possibly hundreds of thousands or millions of people are benefiting from this yoga, but it doesn't, Mm -hmm. it doesn't justify something bad he did. Mm -hmm. The other thing is there are different degrees of this stuff. Whatever Patabi Joyce did happened right there in the yoga room when he adjusted someone. It's not like someone went into his office and he was masturbating or exposing himself or having sex with students or anything. So to sum it up, I just say, it makes me sad. Um, And I understand people's anger and frustration, how some people would not even want to do Ashtanga because of it. And Mm -hmm. I acknowledge everybody has their right to the the feeling and their experience. Um, But it's all true. Also, all of the other things he did are true. The joy that people felt. Nancy Gilgoff will tell you he healed her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are people whose lives have been healed. And so many things in life are not one thing or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Many things in life are, are a little complicated. Mm-hmm. And um, we have to respect people's experience. So as I said, anyone that had that negative experience and feels really negative about him or their journey or whatever, I acknowledge that. I I don't, I wouldn't tell them to not feel that, but just as their feelings are valid, so is someone else's. So I have my particular experience and I share it and people can do the practice, right? Ultimately that's, it's just about, the practice of the yoga, which yeah. is not about a person, but the yoga is the yoga. Ashtanga yoga is here. Whether you learn it from this person or that person, focus on the system. Mm-hmm. And anyone that feels like they received an inappropriate adjustment, received an inappropriate adjustment. So then you have to respect that. And Ashtanga is an, uh, uh, in the past, has been a physically based system. I mean, you really make physical adjustments between the teacher and the student. Yeah. 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 And, and as we mentioned, I mean, Krishnamacharya beat people and broke their bones. And stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a close friend who broke, broke bones as well, and I wouldn't <laughs> study with him either. But um, <clears throat> You have a you have a wonderful quote. Um, Don't let yoga ruin your life, mm-hmm. which I think is fantastic. 
And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that quote, because I, I know that, you know, a lot of people get real orthodox about things. And they only do it and they, they do it exactly the way they've been taught. They won't do anything else. And sometimes you could miss out on surfing or or running or having a cheesecake. Well, um, and what's interesting is I think Richard Freeman has the same saying. So I don't know where it originated, but maybe it's just if you do something long enough, you come to the same sort of conclusions. But <laughs> but yoga does or can mess up your life. And even David Williams in those early days, he would interview people before they could do yoga. Mm -hmm. And they'd come to him and say, uh, I'd like to sign up for the yoga. And he'd say, no, I don't think so. <laughs> they go, no, really, I'd like to. No. He goes, it's not for everybody you know. Well, no, I'd, I'd like to do the yoga. Well, I want you to think about it. Because if you start doing this yoga, you'll start feeling really good. And you'll start making all your life choices around this yoga. Yeah. And what can happen is maybe if your partner, your your spouse, your lover, maybe they don't get into the yoga, mess up your relationship. You might quit your job. You'll want to spend <laughs> and he'd have people commit to it. Yeah, but these are things that can happen, right? That you start making choices. And almost everybody that does yoga can have a, an experience like that where they'll say, I just wanted to touch my toes or you know, my girlfriend wanted me to come to yoga and all of a sudden they wake up one day and they're like, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, I'm reading labels on food. I, I, and your friends go, come on, man, let's go party. And you're like, um, will it be smoky there? <laughs> like, uh, what time will we be home? I have a yoga class in the morning and no, it's a little too late for me to eat because of my yoga class and all the <laughs> stuff that used to be fun isn't as fun anymore Yeah, mm -hmm. because the yoga starts to become important. However, mm -hmm. then I ask this question, what was already changing one's life that even made them take an interest in yoga? Mm -hmm. Yoga might be a symptom of other changes that were already occurring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the thing that made you want to go to a yoga class at that moment, there's already something percolating within there. Mm -hmm. So I'd say yoga is just a tool. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh. and you don't even have to wear it as on, on your sleeve all the time. I'd say some of the greatest yogis I know, you won't even know they do yoga. Mm -hmm. They don't teach yoga. Nobody else in their family does yoga. They get up early. They do their yoga. They get then they get up, up, they go about their day, they get their kids to school, they go to work, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's a, a tool for, for life. So rather than thinking you have to uh, subtract a bunch of things from your life if you do yoga, you just think of adding yoga to it and it'll make everything else better. Hmm. Were you um, quite amazed at the changes in Mysore from your first trip there to your second trip? Yeah, I was pleased with a lot of them. <laughs> you know, it used to be we had to travel with iodine tablets to put in our water so you wouldn't die from, you know, amoebas or something. And, you know, you can get bottled water. They had internet and you could eat healthy foods and stuff. So all that was good. But, um, yeah, of course things change. And with change, there's always a, a mix of, of good and, and not so good. Yeah. Um, 
there's a lot more people there and that could be good or or not good but yeah it was it was way different but everything's different the whole world's different you look at at um if you were away from planet earth and you just beam back down you know after 30 years and everybody's just staring at these little devices in their hand and it, it it's things change but it doesn't have to be that it's it's bad or good it's but it's different yeah my first always... trip to mysore there were there were three people there i would say even even when shelly was first going to mysore my wife shelly in the 2000s you guys know there were times you could go there there you know, they're about yeah. to open the, and there'd be like 30 people yeah. or That's 40 right. people or something. Right? Yeah. Or you'd, you'd get those little moments, those windows before and you'd just be practicing and Patabi Joyce would be teaching. There'd be a handful of people. Yeah. And then in, in more recent years, it's 500, 700 people, whatever there. Um, so it, it changes. But you can see it as there's a lot more energy, but there's a lot more of other stuff. And so it's just the the march of time goes on. And then um, I'm happy for the experiences I had and the, the moments that I had and the simplicity of it. And I'm sure that all the people going there now are um, also getting juice and, and excited about it and ex- having their own experiences. Yeah. Well, we just really want to thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. It's an absolute honor for us, and we're going to promote the shit out of it. So, <laughs> well, I feel like I could just ask you questions all day long, David. So, <laughs> you know, there's, I'm going to just tell you a quick story that sort of reminds me of Mysore and our experience. So, we live in an area in Austin. Um, it's the suburbs, yeah, yeah, and. It's called Terrytown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And right now, in recent years, people come in and just the real estate market's crazy. And they buy a, a beautiful little house. And the next day, a bulldozer comes in and bulldozes <laughs> the thing down. And a house goes up that looks like a bank, like these yeah. giant things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And, you know, we're all like complaining, like, wow, you know, this is the neighborhood's changing. And across the street from us, there was a woman lived there. Her name was Joyce. She was in her 90s. Shelly really befriended her and spent time together. And she'd lived there since 1938 in the same house her husband built. Mm -hmm. One day we were complaining to her about all these new houses going up. And she looked at Shelly and she said, I felt the same thing when your house went up. (laughs) that's fantastic you know you realize that yeah it's always like we forget we're we're complaining about the other people or the guy that he's driving down the road and his little daughter is in the back seat and he's stuck in traffic and he's verbalizing ah i'm stuck in this traffic oh this traffic it's terrible ah it's gonna make me late and his daughter goes daddy you seem upset What's the matter? He goes, oh, honey, it's just this traffic. It's really disturbing me. And she says, Daddy, we are traffic. Because yeah. <laughs> we only uh, think of wild. everyone else's traffic, right? So yeah. Yeah. we are traffic. Yeah. It's, there's but some I, deep I, lessons in there about. Deep lessons. Yeah, yeah, but you guys, I appreciate your taking the time and inviting me to come on here and speak with you. I really appreciate it. And, um, 
Look forward Tell to seeing you. seeing you in person down the road yeah. somewhere. Come down to Austin one day and have a visit. Yeah, you know, it's like uh, eventually we'll be able to see each other in the same room. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> That'd be fantastic. <laughs> That'd be novel. Yeah. That'd be different. Yeah. Can you uh, tell everyone where they can find your schedule online? Because you're teaching all over the place. And do you list well, all of the places that you're teaching somewhere in one location? I'm really or... only teaching in one place, which is from my house. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but, it, but it's being beamed out in other places. And yeah, um, there's so many URLs to click so, on. <laughs> so it's ashtanga.net. A-S-H-T-A-N-G-A.net. And you'll see my schedule on there. I, I, I teach with other people, you know, other people host me. And I, I enjoy that because it's, it's supportive of, for both of us. Um, I also occasionally teach my own, my own classes. Yeah. I do have some in-person classes scheduled for next year, but there, there's a huge question mark around mm-hmm. it. Just we'll see how things unfold. Yeah. yeah, I took a wonderful class uh, that you were teaching with the Miami Life Center, yep. and it was so nice and a lovely conference after. It was great to reconnect with you that way through the. Yeah, you know, I was I was always resistant to teaching online. I go, like, oh, I don't want to teach online. I'll teach in person. And and somebody once said to me, they said, "But David, you have DVDs." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh yeah, good yeah. point." Yeah. Zoom, Zoom is yeah. basically a DVD that I can see you through the television. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, it's a. I think you know now I'm appreciative of it, and I think it's a wonderful sort of like a hybrid car or something. It's a nice bridge between one thing and the next, and um, so I think yeah. that we all get some benefit from that the connection that's available there. And I have a question. Do you still sell those advanced AB DVDs, videos? Well, you know, I finally caught up to sort of the, uh, a recent century, and all of my – every DVD I've ever had is in digital form now, and it's available on my site. Okay, oh, amazing. You can, because... either, you can either purchase them outright or you can do a, a little membership thing, and they're reasonable prices. I actually put three different prices, whether it's a monthly subscription or – uh, upfront payment. Okay. But the three different prices, you get the exactly same content. <laughs> <laughs> but I let you decide what what's the appropriate amount to pay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's wonderful. So, I um, um, it's all on there. Yeah, yeah, I I had all of your VHS DVD videos, and yeah. um, I love them. And that they actually inspired me to go to a David Williams workshop. And it was one of the first workshops he taught internationally in Calgary, Canada. Nice. Yeah. And then also Lucy Martorella came to Calgary as well, teaching. Cool. And then I went to Vancouver to take your teacher training all back in the early two thousands. And, and I felt like I was just hanging out with Ashtanga yoga superstars. Cause that's, that's a fun video. That's the yeah, one where, because it's non-instructional, you just get some popcorn and a beverage and feed <laughs> up. Yeah, it's amazing. It's just it's so it's so beautiful to just watch the practice, especially at that advanced level, and and see even just different bodies how they yeah. move and look in different postures. It's, sure. Yeah, it's beautiful. So I highly Did recommend. You notice it. in that how David appears and disappears. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Well, the backstory of that is, is uh, he'd he'd sit over there on the side of the beach with with Diana, 
And he he go, oh wait, wait, wait. I'll I'll do that one. I'll do that one. And he'll jump in the scene. And he goes, oh no no no. I, I don't want to do that one anymore. No, I don't want to do that. He'll, he'll jump out of the scene. So I thought you, were, you would take him out because he wasn't good enough. I no, he was just because my belief was we wanted is I wanted it is at first it was just going to be me. And I was like, well, I don't want it to be about me. It's about this practice. And, and like you were saying, different people doing it. And and so uh, but he, you know, David doesn't care what anybody thinks. He's like, no, nah, I don't yeah. want to do that. Yeah, I'll do that. No, nah, I don't want to do that one anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. That's exactly how I feel about a schnugger. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's your medicine, man. Well, it's your medicine, comma, man, not your medicine, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being on our show. Thank dudes. you both. Lots of love. Happy holidays. Stay safe. Be strong. And we'll see you down the road. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the breaking Hard